Psalm 39. Well, we're going to turn our attention to Psalm 39. Um, real quick, though, um, you know, we began this series uh, through book one of the Psalms last February. And uh, book one is the first 41 Psalms. So we only have three Psalms to go. So Lord willing, we're going to finish book one in February. And um, after that, uh, Dayland is actually going to uh, continue to preach through the Psalms when, uh, uh, when he preaches, uh, at least for the time being. He's actually going to preach the first Psalm of Book 2, which is Psalm 42, right after we finish uh, Book 1. Um, but after, we, uh, after that, we're going to have a short series called We Are Rocky Point. It starts that Sunday of the We Are Rocky Point uh, potluck and praise night. Uh, Sunday morning, we're going to start the series We Are Rocky Point. And um, as, we are, um, as we're adopting this new constitution and bylaws, again, we're making a statement about who we are as a church. And so along with that, for, uh, for three Sundays, we're going to look at three aspects of what it means to be a local church according to Scripture. So uh, that'll be a, a, a three-week series after uh, book one of the Psalms, We Are Rocky Point. Uh, and then after that, we're, we're actually going to be uh, going through two books of the Bible um, on Sunday mornings. Like I said, when Dalen preaches, he is going to continue to preach through the Psalms. And then, Lord willing, um, in March, uh, I'm going to begin preaching through the book of Revelation. And uh, I'm really excited for us as a church to get into um, the book of Revelation. There, there's a lot to be said about it uh, as, we, as we get ready to walk through that book together. But for now, I'll just say um, I'm really excited because uh, Revelation is often misunderstood or just avoided altogether, uh, and it's a shame because Revelation is a message that Jesus wants to give to his local churches. Um, in Revelation, God shows us his perspective on the world, and it's a perspective that we need if we're going to be faithful to Christ in this world. Um, Revelation does have a lot to say about the future, which is often the first thing that comes to mind when you think about the book of Revelation. But Revelation is about so much more than just the future. Uh, Revelation gives the local church a practical message of comfort and encouragement and instruction for how we can follow Christ as his people in the present and so uh, I, I pray that uh, as we approach that, we will be blessed through our study of Revelation. Um, and I just wanted to kind of let you know where we're going in the coming weeks. But for now, uh, today we're in Psalm 39. And um, last week, we were, of course, in Psalm 38. It was a psalm that David wrote from the perspective of being under the discipline of God. Psalm 39 is also a psalm that David wrote as he was experiencing the discipline of God. Uh, as we'll see, David has lost something. And it seems he wants to complain about it, but instead he turns to God. And he asks for perspective, he asks for forgiveness, and he asks for relief from God's discipline. Well, with that, let's read Psalm 39 together. And since these words are breathed out by God and come with the very authority of Jesus Christ himself, if you're able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? Psalm 39. The Holy Spirit says to the choir master, to Jeduthun, 
a psalm of David. I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Salah. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Salah. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would bless the reading of your word. As we walk through this psalm now, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us, that he would teach us, that he would guide us in your truth, Lord, that you would make us more like Christ, open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. When God permitted Satan to take everything that Job owned, to kill all ten of his children, here's how Job responded. Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. The Lord had given, and the Lord took away. But Job did not accuse God of doing anything wrong. 
Instead, he, he put his suffering into perspective and he praised God. The Lord takes away. I wish it wasn't true. I'll be honest. I, I wince thinking about what the Lord might choose to take away from me. I don't want to say it, but even if I didn't say it, it would still be true. The Lord takes away. How do you respond when the Lord takes away? What do you do when God removes something from you that is precious? Do you complain to people about your suffering? Do you despair? Do you try to make up for it by filling the void with something else? David wrote Psalm 39 because the Lord had taken away. We don't know what the Lord took away, but David wrote his response to the Lord He wrote Psalm 39, his response to the Lord taking away, and he wrote it as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit, God himself. And then David handed this God-breathed lament to the choir director so that the people of God would have a song to sing when the Lord takes away. Here's how David invites us to respond when the Lord takes away hope in the eternal God who delivers fleeting sinners. Hope in the eternal God who delivers fleeting sinners. How do we do this? How do we hope in the eternal God who delivers fleeting sinners? Well, as we walk through the passage, I want to point us to three different ways that David leads us to do this. The first, direct your distress to the Lord. Direct your distress to the Lord. When the Lord takes away, direct your distress to the Lord. Uh, David begins this psalm in verse 1 by speaking about silence. Look at verse 1 again. He said, I will, uh, he says, I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. David had a lot to say. He, he is clearly suffering. He is clearly experiencing lost and loss, and he is clearly weary. He's got a lot on his mind, a lot in, on his heart. I wonder, what do you say when you're having a bad day? What comes out of your mouth when you're going through a trial? In David's case, 
David chose not to speak. Why? Why did David remain silent? Well, he tells us he wanted to guard his mouth from sinning against God with his words. Specifically, David wanted to be careful about what he might say that might be heard by those who don't know God. You know, he could easily have told people around him all of his problems, how bad his life was. He could complain about how God was making his life miserable. But that would have brought reproach on the name of Yahweh. It would have caused those who don't trust in God to move further away from trusting God. David doesn't want to damage God's reputation, and so he chooses not to say anything to anybody. But total silence wasn't going to last long. Look at verse 2. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. The longer David kept his thoughts bottled up, the more anxious he grew. He, he knew he shouldn't complain to the people around him, but the silence was killing him. He grew more and more distressed as he kept his thoughts to himself until, verse 3, my heart became hot within me as I mused, the fire burned, then I spoke with my tongue. David couldn't take it anymore. His heart was burning and the flames were only stoked the more he pondered about what was going on that was difficult. And so he spoke, but not to the people around him. He spoke to God. He directed his distress not to the people around him, but to the Lord himself. When the Lord takes away Direct your distress to the Lord. Don't, dis- don't direct your distress to those around you in the form of complaints. You know, we, we like to let others know how bad things are going for us. Maybe we want people to feel bad for us, cut us some slack. Maybe we just want to feel better about ourselves by venting some of that fire that's burning hot in our heart like David. But just consider what kind of witness that is. If the people around you who don't know God hear you complaining, what does that say to them about the God you claim to serve? Maybe they've heard you talking about God's sovereignty talk about how you know God is in control of all things and he's working all things according to his plan maybe when things go well for you they've heard you say oh God is good I'm so glad God is sovereign he did this wonderful thing for me so then what will they think when things go bad and then they hear you complaining about how bad life is didn't you say God was in control of all things Does this mean that God isn't in control? Or does this mean that the God who is in control did something bad to you? 
Well, consider what Job said to his wife in Job 2.10. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? Should we celebrate the things that God gives us that we like, but then complain about the things that God takes away? Don't direct your distress to others in complaints, but learn from David, don't also keep your distress bottled up inside. That is a recipe for bitterness. It's a recipe for anxiety. Instead, direct your distress to the Lord. God has given us such an amazing gift in prayer. We can come to Him in any and every situation. We can come to Him with praises and thanksgiving. And we can come to Him with lament. We can come to Him in our pain and our suffering. We can come to Him with our questions and confusion. Don't bear needless pain. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Direct your distress to the Lord. Second, ask the Lord for an eternal perspective. When the Lord takes away, ask the Lord for an eternal perspective. So David finally does speak. He says something. Well, what is this that he says to God? He asks God to remind him that life is short. Look at verse 4. O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. So David wants to be reminded of his end, his death. Remembering death will remind David that his days are numbered. And remembering that his days are numbered will remind him just how fleeting he is, how quickly he's going to be gone from this world. He continues in verse 5, Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stand as a mere breath. Salah. David knows life is short. He asks God to help him remember how life, how short life is, especially from God's perspective. God is eternal. He has no beginning or end. He stands outside of time. He's not limited by time in any way. So in God's eyes, especially a human lifetime is like nothing at all. Unlike God, our life on this earth has a beginning and an end. We come and go quickly like a breath. All humans are like a fleeting vapor. David continues in verse 6, surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. Uh, so as David considers the vanity, the, the emptiness, the vapor, the, 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 the quick passing of 
human life. He specifically here emphasizes the vanity of working for wealth in this life. Here we are going about as a shadow, here today, gone tomorrow, yet we toil and labor, we rush around and work, we do all this stuff to acquire stuff in this life, and we don't even live long enough to enjoy it. So David asks God to make him understand just how fleeting his life is, how short life is. And in so doing, he stands in a long line of wise, godly people who have learned the value of this perspective. Moses writes in Psalm 90, verse 12, Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Wisdom comes from knowing the number of our days. When the Lord takes away, we need to ask the Lord for an eternal perspective. Life is short. Now, God made us to live forever. But when mankind sinned against God, death came into the world. Now, as soon as we're born, the clock is ticking. We only get one life, and it is gone before we know it. Furthermore, everything that God takes away in discipline is just as fading and fleeting as we are. God may take something away from us before we die, but even if He hadn't taken it away from us, we didn't really have that long to enjoy it anyway. Jesus told a parable about a rich man who had a great harvest one year. So he decided he was going to tear down his barns and big, uh, build bigger ones to store all of his crops. He had the retirement fund of his dreams. He was going to be living off of it for years. And then that night, Jesus says, Luke 12, 20-21, God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one, Jesus says, who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. When God takes away, he reminds us of how fleeting we are and how fleeting everything we enjoy in this life is. And by taking away these fleeting things like he takes away from David, like he takes away from Job, by, when he takes away, he redirects our eyes to what actually matters for eternity. What actually matters from the perspective of a God who stands outside of time and sees human life as a little blip. He redirects our eyes to what matters from an eternal perspective. So when God takes away, when the Lord takes away from you. Ask God to remind you of how short life is. Ask God to remind you that what he took away was temporary anyway. And ask the Lord for an eternal perspective. Direct your distress to the Lord. Ask the Lord for an eternal perspective. And then finally, hope in the Lord 
for salvation. Hope in the Lord for salvation. David expresses his hope in God in verse 7. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. David places his hope entirely in the eternal God. He hopes in the God who stands outside of time. He hopes in the God who numbered his days. He hopes in the God who can not only relieve his temporary suffering, but who can give him hope for life beyond these fleeting days. He places his hope in God alone. And what does David hope in God for? Look at verse 8. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. This is key. David recognizes that his greatest problem, what he needed to be saved from, is his sin. His greatest problem is not what was taken away from him. His greatest problem is his sin that God chose to discipline. Here, David is experiencing the consequences of sin. And this is heavy on his heart. It's because of these consequences, as he indicates here, that he's opened himself up to being mocked by fools. This is a big deal in his life. But David doesn't just ask to be saved from sin's effects. He asks to be saved from sin itself. It is for his sin that God is disciplining him. It's because of sin that life is so fleeting. David knows his greatest problem, what he needs to be delivered from, is sin itself. So he asks God, he hopes in God to deliver him from his transgressions. It is for his sin that God is disciplining him. And so David again expresses silence in verse 9. I am mute. I do not open my mouth. For it is you who have done it. David, as we already saw, started this psalm silent. He had these feelings burning in his heart. It was all he could do from letting these feelings burst out in sinful words against God to those around him. But here, David unpacks more about his silence. This silence expresses quiet confidence. He's quiet because he recognizes that this affliction is God's doing. He says, it is you who have done it. God is disciplining him. His silence doesn't mean he doesn't pray. In fact, as we'll see, he goes on to ask God to remove his hand of discipline. But what his silence does mean is that his mouth is free of accusation or complaint. Like Job, David does not charge God with wrong. David knows that it is the Lord who has taken away. And David knows the Lord who took away is right and good. 
I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. David's son Solomon says this in Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, a lesson perhaps he learned from his father David. He says to his son, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. But again, David does ask God to relieve his suffering. In verse 10, he says, Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. This affliction he has experienced has caused him to be weary. And so he, he asks for relief. And in, in so doing, uh, David instructs us here. Because his request, as we look at the context of Psalm 39, his request that the Lord would remove this hostility of his hand, that request doesn't come from a heart that just wants a life of whatever feels good. No, his request comes from the same heart as verse 8, deliver me from all my transgressions. Again, he's not asking to be delivered only from sin's effects, as if he could keep on sinning and just not have consequences. No, he's asking to be relieved of the whole package. He asks God to deliver him from his sin and to deliver him from his suffering. He's longing for that which will be true of all who trust in Christ for all of eternity. One day we'll be free from God's discipline because we'll be free from sin. David wants the the full package. He wants relief from his sin, deliverance from his sin, and deliverance from his suffering. But in the meantime, David is experiencing God's discipline, and he describes that discipline further in verse 11. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Salah. As we've already been seeing, God's discipline takes away something precious to us. And this should be a familiar concept to parents, right? We take away from our children things that are precious in order to discipline them. God takes away something precious to us, but that is fleeting in light of eternity, something that wasn't going to last anyway. And again here, David recalls how fleeting all of life is. We only last a few days, and so does all that we hold precious in this life. So David then ends with a final petition, beginning in verse 12. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you a guest like all my fathers. He pleads with God to to see his tears and to respond to his requests. He describes himself here as a sojourner. And this fits so well with the fleeting nature of life on this earth. No permanent home. Here today, gone tomorrow. We are sojourners on this earth. But this image of a sojourner also speaks to God's care. David is God's guest. So David is asking for 
hospitality and compassion. He says, I recognize I'm a sojourner. I recognize this is not my permanent home. I recognize I am here temporarily. But he understands, I, I am your guest. And he asks God for compassion and mercy. David concludes in verse 13. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. As it is, God has been looking on David with an angry gaze, a gaze that hates sin. And David asks God to to take the heat off, to turn away this angry gaze in mercy that he might experience some relief in this life before he fades away. When the Lord takes away hope in the Lord for salvation. Let God's discipline of your sin drive you to call on Him for deliverance from your sin. What God takes away is fleeting from an eternal perspective. What God takes away is something that moth or rust would destroy anyway. But do you know what does have eternal consequence? Our sin against God. God will look at our short little lives and see a blip on the radar. God will look at what He takes away from us like a moth destroys and see that it's fleeting and it's gone. God looks at our sin and He sees an impact for eternity. When God disciplines us for sin and takes away that which is temporary, He draws our attention to that which has eternal significance. David understands the Lord's purpose in taking away. God is trying to get David to acknowledge his sin, and that's what David does. He acknowledges his sin. And as David gives this song to the people of God to sing, he prompts us to look at our own sin when the Lord takes away from us. We have all sinned against a holy God. We're corrupted by sin. We're sinners by our very nature. We need to be delivered from this wickedness that infects every part of us. So, consider what grace God shows us by disciplining us. When God disciplines us, He does not give us the wrath we deserve. Because the wrath we deserve is condemnation for all of eternity. Instead, God takes away something temporary. And in so doing, He prompts us to consider our sin. In so doing, He prompts us to see our sin and to give us the chance to repent of our sin. 
we get to repent of our sin and ask God, like David, to deliver us from sin. And when we do, when we turn, when we hope in God and ask Him to deliver us from our sin, He forgives us by the blood of Jesus. He cleanses us with the washing of the Holy Spirit. He frees us from the shackles of sin. And He frees us to eternal life, saving us from the eternal wrath we deserve. God's discipline is grace by taking away something temporary to point us to our need for a Savior who can save us for all of eternity. A little bit of pain now to save us from an eternity of pain later. Hebrews 12, 11 says this, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When the Lord takes away hope in the Lord for salvation. So, when the Lord takes away, how will you respond? Will you complain? Or will you direct your distress to the Lord? Will you despair as if this life is all there is? Or will you ask the Lord for an eternal perspective? Will you double down on your sin? Or will you hope in the Lord for salvation? May we hope in the eternal God who delivers fleeting sinners. When he tries us, may we let that have its full effect and let it lead us to a greater perspective, a greater understanding of our need, and a greater dependence and hope in God who delivers us from sin and all of its effects. May we say with Job, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, it is painful to be reminded of our sin. It is painful to be disciplined for sin. But Lord, I pray that we would not regard lightly your discipline. That we would not be weary when you reprove us. That we would understand that you discipline the one you love and you chastise every son whom you receive.
Lord, I pray that when you take away, we would direct our hearts to you. That we would let you lift our eyes to an eternal perspective on life. And Lord, that we would be driven away from finding hope in this life, away from clinging to that which is temporary, away from putting all of our hope in things that are fleeting and to find our hope in you for deliverance from sin and all its effects. Lord, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.